Welcome to This Week in Hearing. My name is Amin Amlani. For today's webcast, I have the pleasure of talking with Tom Woods, co-founder of Kennedy Woods, a design studio that creates positive social impact through user-centered design and architecture. Thank you for your time and sharing the work from this fascinating project, Tom. Thank you very much for having me. So, Tom, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and, and tell us a little bit about Kennedy Woods before we dive into the uh, Hearing Birdsong project. For sure, yeah. Um, so, Kennedy Woods as a practice was set up by myself and uh, my co-founder, Chris Kennedy. Um, we are we're actually lifelong best friends. We've been friends since we were 13 years old. We met at school. Um, we went down quite different paths in our education. Chris pursued architecture and I studied product design. We both uh, studied in London. Um, Chris spent a little bit of time abroad, but after, after however long in the kind of in, in the workplace after our studies, we came back together to set up the practice, looking to learn what our two fields of design could, could learn from one another. And that sort of interdisciplinary approach and trying to take two different views on all the problems we try and solve as a practice. That, that's sort of been the creative underpinning for us since the very beginning. Uh, we set up eight years ago. Um, we've had quite a meandering path as a project. We've worked on a really broad range um, of scales and different project outputs. Um, our home has always been in Southeast London, in Peckham. And over the last two to three years, we've really started to gather momentum in the education sector. And uh, we've done an awful lot of work in early stage education. And we're now looking to sort of grow that as a capability as a firm. Uh, as you sort of mentioned at the beginning, the real interest and underpinning of the practice to sort of expand on the point of this interdisciplinary leadership has been on trying to bring user-centered design principles and methodologies that you'd find in product design, innovation, uh, and sort of migrate those across to the built environment. And um, that's kind of what's led us to the spread of projects that we are currently now working on or have recently delivered. But the Hearing Birdsong app, as a great example, is a real outlier for us in terms of the studio's capabilities. We've not actually designed an app before, but we hope that, um, that's sort of testament to the to the design thinking framework and user-centered design as a philosophy, which is if you go in asking the right questions and being uh, thorough enough in your engagement of the people you're trying to serve, the the form versus function, it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily present the barriers people might anticipate for an architecture firm to design a, an app. Yeah, yeah. No, so for for our viewers, just just um, you know. The design, uh, the design thinking piece, I think, is really, really critical to the whole concept here. It's different than your typical empirical research piece, right? Where you, in, in, a, in a typical research empirical piece, you have a question and then you have methodologies and then you solve it. And then you go back and try to resolve it again. Whereas in the design thinking, it's more interactive and it's more nonlinear in the sense that you have uh, these these interactions with these individuals, and that then may take you back to the beginning, as opposed to completing the project and going back. Can you talk a little bit about the design thinking piece for our viewers, if you don't mind? 
Yeah, for sure. So we could talk a little bit about the practicalities and a little bit about the mindset. Um, the mindset of in, in, in trying to adopt a design thinking approach, I think it's IDEO's Tom Kelly, whose catchphrase is embrace ambiguity. That's the kind of number one um, kind of mindset. That's the top priority is, is becoming, being learning to be a little bit more uncomfortable with the uncertain or the unknown. And you've just got to have faith and trust in the process that if you, if you go digging and you're inquisitive and curious enough and keep asking the right questions, you'll eventually, um, if, if listeners are interested, you can find some great diagrams about the client anxiety curve, which is sort of client anxiety tends to go through the roof during the, it's like a bell curve through the middle of the project because you're, you're halfway through the fee. You've got no answers to any of the questions you're trying to solve. You're just sort of picking, uh, picking research and you've got to learn to, yeah, embrace that ambiguity and trust that you're going to kind of come out on the other side. Um, in terms of the, the practicalities of it, so distinct from architecture, as a if people, listeners might be familiar with this or not, but um, architecture, the complexity of it and the nature of the projects you're working on, you, you'd struggle to find a better example of uh, a waterfall design process, which is... By that, I mean, you can look that up, you'll find all sorts of diagrams to support what this is, but a waterfall process is something that is highly linear. Uh, it's sequential and broken up into stages. So you complete a stage, you flow down into the next stage, you flow down into the next stage. The metaphor is that water can't flow upwards, uphill. And in architecture, you're designing something so big and so complicated with so many teams. After completing one work stage, it's really important to a large extent that the work remains kind of secure and locked in so that you can progress the project through. As soon as you start working on um, in more naturally agile design disciplines in let's say app design, um, the opportunity for test prototype and revision is so much more, it's such much more of a cost efficient process to show people your design, watch them break it, and change it. You can't knock the building down and rebuild it, depending on what you learn. So it's um, design thinking by contrast to the waterfall process of architecture is highly, highly agile and really celebrates that agility. And um, yeah, the way that manifests and feels as a design process is as soon as you possibly can and you have something semi-tangible, you're showing it to people you're watching them break it and you're asking what lessons can we learn from watching them use this prototype and design thinking as a process really celebrates that. It really, um, it really encourages and sort of, uh, yeah, it encourages you to sort of loop back around to other parts of the process and revisit assumptions you've made or questions you've assumed you have the answer for. Uh, that's all kind of part of the process. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I think that's important as we start talking about this hearing birdsong project, which mm -hmm. actually you know stemmed from a workshop that you guys were at, where I would assume the design thinking process was part of the equation. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so everyone has a slightly different um, set of alliterations for design thinking. So it's the double diamonds process, but um, universally the first two generally is is about discovery and then defining your problem really clearly. And we, I think as designers, we're always looking for those 
amazing discovery moments. And I couldn't have been more fortunate to participate in the workshop I did. Uh, it's called a Sandpit Innovation Workshop. It was hosted by Imperial College in London. Uh, it brought together 60 or 70 people involved in hearing loss, whether that's industry experts, people suffering with um, hearing loss themselves, audiologists, ENT specialists, designers. And it was a, we were all sort of pushed together, broken into various subgroups, asked to address, you know, address and thrash out what we felt could be interesting answers to certain questions. But it ultimately was sort of the ultimate discovery phase because you had patients sat next to designers, sat next to ENT specialists. And it was, it was absolutely magical watching people just ping insight from industry insight versus real life experience simultaneously from as a designer it was just the dream environment to kind of sit in and, and experience and um yeah i think it's something we're sort of especially proud of on the project as it continues to develop is the fact that it did root back to this really pure real life experience of someone who shared it with us and that to be honest even in that she felt comfortable, confident, and sort of empowered enough to step forward and tell her really personal, really moving story about her experience of losing hearing. So that was credit to the event organizers to curate that as a trust, you know, an environment that people felt prepared to share in. She told us her story and then, um, which I can run you through, probably worth me kind of explaining in a moment, but, you know, having a patient trust us to give that sort of insight and then it just having such potential to be flipped round into a solution and the underpinning of what's gone on to now be a really exciting design concept. Um, it's very, very satisfying as a designer to kind of see the process unfold in such pure and clean terms. It's lovely. I can only imagine, I can only imagine that, you know, this, uh, this conversation then led to, um, you know, the identification that this person was having some trouble hearing in certain environments, and that then led you guys down this path. Share that path with us a little bit of what you guys are, are creating, because I think it's really, really fascinating and cool in my from my perspective. Oh, thank you. Um, should I... Um... Should I tell the story quickly about Angela's experience to give a bit of context to the design, or would that be of use? Absolutely. I think it'll give the, the viewer some context as to, you know, what drove the premise behind the, the Birdsong uh, project that you all have here. For sure. So, um, yeah, Angela, she was one of the participants of the Imperial uh, Sandpit Workshop. She was a early, early years teacher, and so she walked daily to her local school that she taught at, and she made, as part of her kind of daily walk, she went through this beautiful little glady bit of forest on her, on her commute, and it was the moment that she went on that same walk and realized she couldn't hear birdsong. Mm -hmm. That was the moment for her, she twigged that her, um, you know, her, her hearing health wasn't where it had previously been. And it was the moment that inspired her to seek help, get access to, you know, to a diagnosis. She had hearing aids fitted and, and she would now testify it's completely changed 
her life and immeasurably improved her quality of life through her social connection and, and everything that comes with it. Um, so, yeah, Angela shared, us, Angela shared this story with us. It was um, set against the backdrop of the sandpit and, you know, not every moment was quite as romantic and human-centered where there was some quite techie stuff going on. And so it was, you know, she just, she just piped out and told us this amazing story um, and was really brave to kind of share that in front of a room of 15, 20 people. And I literally had the idea in the shower. I know that sounds a bit corny. I went home that night and it was all I could think about was this walk in the forest. And I was just, it was just running around in my head. head, head, head. And I got, I literally had the idea in the shower on my way back to this, on the second day of the Sandpit workshop. And um, the idea ultimately was how can we take, you know, what is it about Angela's story? It was so human, it was so visceral, you could picture it so vividly, that experience for her, but also the sound that she had lost the ability to hear. It, it kind of really hit people hard in the room. And it seemed a really powerful force. And if we could recruit that, or if we could find a way to sort of flip it around and turn it almost as a force for good, then it, it seemed like a sort of idea with huge potential and real sort of uh, the ability to create real human resonance. <clears throat> so hearing as we kind of continue, as the conference continued and we were learning more about traditional audiometry and what that experience means to, you know, the absolute antithesis, the kind of clicks and the beeps and the harshness of that as an experience, it is so dehumanized. And it's so far removed from our real world experience of sound that that was the sort of penny drop moment is maybe we can inspire people to engage with their hearing health, with hearing testing, if we can create a test that is uh, ultimately more human centered and can tap into a more sort of powerful sense of experience for people taking, taking that test. So to that end, to continue this wonderful story that you're telling, you guys did something interesting. And what was that? I mean, you went out and you created this, uh, this, this, this uh, new kind of test using birds. Can you yeah. share that with us a little bit? Yeah, of course. So at this stage, I've got to be a little bit careful about calling it a test because we haven't had... We've not actually had the technology academically verified yet. So we're, we're flying under the banner of a hearing loss screen for the time being. But that is certainly the aspiration and the direction of travel. So what we've done is, in simple terms, we've taken the, uh, we've taken the white noise, the clicks and the beeps from pure tone audiometry, and we've replaced and replicated them using real world sounds. Now that's... We've actually partnered with the Dyson School of Engineering on this. So there's a bit of digital magicry happening under the hood. And what the technicians on the, on the team we've partnered with have done for us is they've taken those recognizable British songbirds and they've digitally compressed and modulated the frequencies in each song to only occupy a very narrow band of frequencies. So instead of hearing 
white noise and a beat playing at maybe a two kilohertz frequency. In hearing birdsong, you'll hear the sound of a stream passing by, so water flowing that will be our white noise. And then you'll hear our blackbird sing out across the sound of the forest and the river. And that will be our test frequency. Okay. That's really, really cool. And you have you have these from uh, from low frequencies to high frequencies. I believe I read there are six different frequencies in which you've been able to characterize these sounds. Is that correct? Uh, we got our, our cluster of birds is five at the moment. Okay. Um, okay. We've got five birds. We, we had the opportunity to, um, we're piloting the, the app in the UK. So we had the opportunity maybe to go more international and create something more unusual, maybe a, a rainforest or a desert, or it could have been anything from anywhere in the world. But I think we took the fact that we're going to be running this as a, as a pilot in the UK, we've created, uh, it is just so nostalgic. It's so evocative when you listen to the sound of British forest, the sounds, the call of different birds, they're all sounds you will have heard before if you grew up here or you're, you're from the UK. So I think, again, in trying to address that, um, you know, that initial apprehension about climbing into the, to the earphones and having to experience all that sort of alien sound, we've aimed to make the frequency almost, the, the experience almost as local as possible to people testing, you know, using it. As we, as the app hopefully continues to be developed, we would love to be thinking about soundscapes from other locations and other parts of the world. I think that could be a real sort of strength to the idea longer term. But yeah, each bird has been picked on the fact it is highly recognizable and a very sort of common species of bird. But also the song it sings is already in a fairly narrow mel melodic pattern so that the compression that takes place is less noticeable. That's really fascinating. And so you, you've, you've created this. I'm assuming you've tested this too, right? So I read something about um, uh, an event that took place where you installed the project at St. Mary's Hospital and you had several folks come by. Can mm. you talk a little bit about that and, and what the outcomes were? Yeah, that, that is interesting. So the original idea of hearing birdsong actually wasn't to take, wasn't to deliver the experience through an app. We actually hoped to create more of an ambient soundscape that would be brought into spaces via loudspeakers. So, um, and I guess our vision for the project was to say, maybe this is something that could exist in hospitals, in GP waiting rooms, you know, when you have a sort of semi-captive audience, we love the idea of someone coming into their GP appointment and the doctor being able to say, hey, you know, what were your experiences of the, of the forest soundscape out in the waiting room or something, as a real sort of soft screen to engage people with their hearing health. Pandemic struck, uh, inviting people into public spaces to congregate and stand close to one another while they listen to our soundscape became quite frowned upon. Uh, we actually, the last event we ran was, um, it was a couple of weeks before the, uh, the lockdowns, you know, things got announced in the UK. So a pretty big pin got stuck in progress fairly fast as, as lockdown sort of descended on the UK. Um, I then actually uh, 
through a contact at work, I got introduced to the Design Age Institute, which is a new department at the Royal College of Art as part of the Helen Hamlin Centre. Um, their strategic goals as an organisation are aligned perfectly with them, with our age-related hearing loss mission. And we got speaking with them and they basically, through a bit of back and forth, we agreed as a team that actually um, the transition into an app not only would overcome the, the challenges we're facing about exhibiting the design, but actually we could be, you know, the reach of the project could be an order of magnitude bigger because it obviously won't be so, you know, geolocated in, in where we activate. So, yeah, two, two good outcomes, really. We've, we're gonna, um, we've, we've been able to continue developing the project through the pandemic, but we also now are in the process of designing this product that we will be able to at least prototype far more widely and catch a way wider prototype test result set from, from the app. Yeah. No, that's, that's really, really cool. And, and I'm assuming, and maybe you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, your particular platform, given that it's more real world, is actually breaking down barriers for individuals who otherwise might be hesitant to go get their hearing tested. Is that, would that be a correct statement? Yeah, look, we have a, we have a serious social stigma issue around hearing loss in the UK. And to get a hearing test is such, it comes with such a different set of social triggers compared to getting your eyes tested. People would not dream, if you, if you know you need spectacles, sorry, I'm talking in very general terms. In general, people who know they need to wear spectacles to get through the day wouldn't dream of trying to do that because they know how much of detail of the world they lose and they know how, many, how much that can affect experiences. Of the 12 million people living in the UK with age-related hearing loss, uh, and that's a 25 dB reduction, uh, only 2 million have hearing aids. Fitted. So there's 10 million people living with reasonably significant hearing loss in their ears. And that's either completely undiagnosed or that's after a diagnosis and just the refusal to get hearing aids fitted. So um, I guess if I had to describe what I, what I feel success looks like for our project long term, really, really long term, um, the transition from us societally talking about hearing loss to trying to reclaim hearing health as something that is we all should aspire to and we should all celebrate and um my poor old dad i'm not sure he'll ever I'm not sure he's part of your target audience he couldn't have been a better case study for our project who's someone who has struggled with quite significant hearing loss for a very very long time experienced significant social isolation um, from my mum and from and his now grandchild and all the rest of it. And it's only very recently he's taken that transition to, um, to getting a hearing aid fitted. And even he, when pushed, would admit, you know, the transition and the difference in quality of life has been so significant. So that all, it takes us quite nicely back to Angela's story. I don't think we're ever going to build anything necessarily 
aspirational about traditional audiometry, the experience of it. I don't think anyone comes out of that experience saying it was particularly pleasant or they enjoyed doing it. The aim of hearing birdsong, if we can humanize that and turn taking the hearing test into something aspirational, tranquil, um, almost meditative, something like highly relaxing, pleasurable, something you would almost look forward to doing or something that someone's telling you about saying, God, you know, I had this fantastic experience testing my ears the other day at the GP. You should go and get the same thing done. It feels like a great starting point to change that discourse and discussion. Well, 100%, 100%. And, and you guys have also been fortunate uh, as a team that you have uh, been recognized uh, at the 2020 World Hearing Day for the World Health Organization. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, so that was a very generous, um, we got a little bit of financial support to the project from the World Health Organization. That was actually, um, that was the sort of the key tipping point from the physical installation we've been working on was, was the first sort of migration more into something you experience in a pair of headphones. And it was when the, it was when this side of the project started getting really exciting. Um, Lorenzo, who was our, uh, he was our technical lead at Dyson at the time, uh, he introduced us to the idea of being able to use binaural audio, a spatialized audio. So rather than just left, right in each ear, uh, Lorenzo was able to create these forest soundscapes for us that really feel like they wrap around the user. And where that got really exciting was as people go through the five to 10 minutes of the hearing bird song screen, we are gonna be introducing various real world sounds around you. So as I said at the beginning, a stream to replace white noise. We're also gonna have moments where uh, thunder and uh, rainstorms roll in overhead and sort of the rain begins to fall around you and you, you hear birds calling out across the water landing on different surfaces and things. It's gonna be rich, immersive. We could go so far in just stereo, but Lorenzo, as I said, the, the, the World Health Organization grant funded our first step into binaural audio. So we've got these sort of amazing moments with weather fronts rolling in and you're walking closer, you know, you're approaching various landmarks on your adventure through the forest, finding campfires or streams flowing or whatever it is. So it's, yeah, it's really exciting. It's really, really cool. And, 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 and what's interesting to me is you're now moving into the area of virtual reality is there any any is there any um, uh, thoughts on moving into that platform in the future or not? You guys haven't thought about that yet. Well, it's interesting. So um, we've 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 been approached by a few people for the project um, for other more specialized applications. So one that we're particularly excited about is that is potentially testing hearing of children with autism. So the question is arising around. Um, how can we make the experience, how can we tailor the experience to maybe be more engaging for different user groups, like how to hold concentration, whatever it is. Um, and I think the, the combination of audio and the visual element could be a really exciting part of that to explore. So I, I, it's, it's very, very, very early days. I don't have any um, 
concrete decisions we've made on that. But I think if we are going to tailor the experience to different age groups or to engage specialist user needs, um, whether that's could be anything. I think um, let's simplify and just say, for example, children to adults to elderly users, the visual component for that could be completely different for those three users. While the sound could be quite consistent, our style of animation or voiceover, maybe there's a, the, the working prototype at the moment has a narrator that is actually a sort of companion with you, taking you through the, the experience. So that could look and feel very different for children as it could for adults, but that's all at very early stages at the moment. Well, it's very, very exciting. And, you know, as we move into this new realm of hearing healthcare and, and uh, look at hearing uh, in a more positive light, the things that you guys are doing are so tremendous and it's just really, really cool to see those kinds of things. So really appreciate what you guys are doing and, um, any any last thoughts for our viewers? Yeah. So if anyone would like to stay in touch on the Hearing Birdsong project specifically, they can visit hearingbirdsong.com and sign up to our mailing list. We'll be sending periodic updates. Uh, and if anyone would like to learn anything more about the practice and Kennedy Woods, you can find details about us at kennedywoods.co.uk. Sounds wonderful. Tom, really thank you for, for all the information that you've shared. I really, really um, appreciate the way you guys have used design thinking. I think it's it's going to be a new way for us in hearing health to start looking at uh, how to help people and and get their perspectives on on how they're feeling and, and maybe tear down some of these social barriers, which will then result in some some outcomes. And uh, you know, hopefully, uh, as as you guys continue to develop, we'll have you guys back on the show so you can share with us where you are and where you're going and, and, and all the fun things that you've developed in between. That would be amazing. We're, um, we're going to be looking to show the work. It'll be at quite a resolve level by the summer. Uh, and we've, we're very excited. We've been approached by the um, Design Museum to as well be curating uh, the, the first cohort projects by the Design Age Institute. It's going to be exhibiting at the Design Museum in the summer. So we should be in a really good position then to share some more of the work with you. Sounds wonderful. Thanks again, Tom, for your time. And uh, we'll see you guys down the road, hopefully.